Welcome to the future of our work. My name is Alfredo Matthew. I'm the founder of Working World LLC. Working World LLC is committed to building the relationships, finding the resources, and telling the story to make real social impact happen. We're here today because I know a lot of interesting people, and they have stories that need to be told and visions for the world that need to be realized. And I just have a sense of urgency about social impact and, and how we should be aligning our resources and supporting each other to make the change that we want to see in the world. So I'm going to be bringing together folks from the education, workforce, entrepreneurial spaces that really have something to offer and hope to highlight them to you and to grow our collective effort. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Joe Harity, Director of the Opportunity Youth Partnership out of the Santa Clara County Office of Ed. Joe is a longtime champion for youth who has worked tirelessly in Santa Clara County to connect young people to opportunity. He's a really deep thinker, a really thoughtful social justice warrior, and we're really excited to have him here today. Hope that you enjoy this conversation. We first met in Seattle mm -hmm. at a bar, mm -hmm. part of the Aspen Institute. Mm -hmm. And when we first met, I was pitching night shifts, mm -hmm. right? A reinvented night school model that I, you know, was playing with, you know, came up with Alfred Solis, the great Alfred Solis. Mm -hmm. He and I ripping on this idea of reinventing night school. Mm -hmm. Why was that idea so intriguing to you? Well, it, we should probably first say that um, we met at a bar to Aspen convening after I had not responded to an email introduction to you. It was an interesting first meeting that became a very like fortuitous or prophetic first meeting, I think. When I think about night shifts and the conversations that we've had about it since then, there's probably kind of like two or three things that continue to make me think that's a really compelling model. One, I like the way you t you had talked about it in terms of a fellowship, and I thought that was a lot about building natural organic communities and cohorts amongst young people of like-minded, motivated others who are going back and trying to get back on track, right? That's yeah. powerful in itself, and most of what we have constructed doesn't do that. Yeah. Two, it's also kind of like, duh, night school, why don't we do more night school? Um, every young person in Silicon Valley has to work. Mm -hmm. So if you're building a model around a time and place where that accommodates work. That's right. That's where that's why Alfred originally came up with this idea, mm -hmm. right? Doing something different between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., mm -hmm. very difficult to do. Everyone is completely, their minds are fixed. Mm -hmm. Between 9 a.m., 3 p.m., this is what school is. Mm -hmm. Any young people, their mind is fixed. But all of a sudden, you move to that 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., mm -hmm. interesting things can happen, mm -hmm. right? Because that is not fixed. So that's part of, for me, why the, the idea was so compelling. Well, and again, it like centered on that fellowship, like fellowship with others, right? It, the way I remember you described mm -hmm. to me is it begins with breaking bread with one another yes. and checking in with one another. And then you roll in. After you have built and maintained your community with one another, the community that's going to carry you, then you roll into the academic work. That's not even revolutionary, though. Mm -hmm. Breaking bread, building community... Mm -hmm. And then now that we have a shared purpose and now that we feel safe and we belong, mm -hmm. then we can get to the real work. Mm -hmm. How is that even revolutionary? Right. And yet it kind of is. Yeah. Because it's not being done well. Mm -hmm. So we originally met kind of riffing on this mm -hmm. idea of night shifts and kind of rethinking how to engage youth. Mm -hmm. How does that fit in with the work that you do every day? You're the director of Opportunity Youth Partnership. What is OYP? Yeah, so OYP is a collective impact partnership in uh, Santa Clara County focused on building uh, education to career pathways 
for young folks who have become disconnected or insufficiently connected, right? So when a young person gets off course, how do you get back on track? Right now, that is really just, it's random. The way a young person who didn't graduate school, has got a lot of competing demands, may have children, may have navigated some really tough life circumstances, the way that they get back on track is sort of, my friend told me to do this, this was near my house, my work schedule and my parenting schedule allowed me to do this thing that I heard about through da 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 da. OIP is about making what is currently random and non-systematic into something that's reliable, repeatable, that really is a vehicle to help young people move from wherever they are to wherever they want to be. We talk a lot about an opportunity ecosystem. You know, other people use terms like no wrong door, da da da, mm-hmm. but it's really about how do you build these intersecting experiences and connect all the pieces of the continuum of support that a young person needs to make that a reality. The connection to night shifts is just simply that there's a gap in the marketplace right now. We have six schools that you can go back to in Santa Clara County, um, including like GED programs and such, if you if you did get off track. Most of those don't operate in the, I mean, they don't operate into the evening. We did a learning tour uh, in fall of 2018 where we talked to a whole uh, where we talked to about 50 young people. We did seven focus groups. Number one thing we heard from young folks was, I have to make a choice between school and work. And they weren't saying that there was one heroic moment where they, you know, like, quote, unquote, did the right thing. I'm going to go back to school and get back on track. What they were saying was, it is so expensive to live here. Mm-hmm. I am choosing every day between whether I can go to school or I need to work more and more and more. Part of that NYSHA's model is not just let's break bread, build community, have fellowship, then get to some academic work, but it is how do we combine the academics with career certifications and in-demand education, real-world applications of learning, and that being all it is. The focus of of being a part of Night Shifts is not about getting a degree, mm-hmm. it's about launching your career mm-hmm. and launching that career as quickly as possible and earning and learning as you go. Mm-hmm. Why is that still so compelling for you? Earning and learning specifically? Yeah. I mean, gosh. Because the work I'm doing with you now is all around career mm-hmm. pathways for opportunity youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about my mentee, a young man I worked with for 10 years since he was 14 years old. And he is you know, now a, an adult, 25, with a child. And he's never met his father. His mother has had a lot of struggles that she's had to navigate through and hasn't been able to be there and certainly could not provide for him. So he's had to work his whole mm-hmm. life, his teenage years, his adult years, just to support himself. And he's tried, he's attempted school. He's attempted, uh, he's, he graduated from high school, but he's attempted community college. And it was just so clear that he needed to be working to earn money to survive, but also for his sense of self-worth. Working at uh, Mi Pueblo in the Taqueria there, he was making more legitimate money than any adult in his family. A, he needed that money to survive, but there's a sense of purpose and pride that came with that. And I think for a lot of these young folks, designing any sort of experience that would sever that is nuts. We're going to take you out of the workforce for four years so you can get this degree and then you're going to go back into the mm-hmm. workforce and you're going to have much more mm-hmm. value that you're going to be, be able to bring to the work. But most young people are not going to choose to leave the workforce for four years or rather they can't. That model was designed for people like me, mm-hmm. white middle class kids whose, whose family had enough resources to make that seem reasonable. You're from Wisconsin. That's right. And now you're in Santa Clara County, and you're doing OYP, and you're knocking on the door of Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to figure out access. How did you get from Wisconsin Mm. to Silicon Valley? Yeah. 
how did that happen? So after college, I had an aunt that lived in Santa Cruz or still lives in Santa Cruz. In the life of a person with plenty of privilege, mm-hmm. you know, after college, I did a year, uh, I graduated from the University of Wisconsin, did a year in AmeriCorps there. I had visited this area and wanted to get out here and wanted to see something different. Took an AmeriCorps position out in San Jose because I could live with my aunt in Santa Cruz. Yeah, because they don't pay you anything they don't with pay AmeriCorps. Anything. Yeah, so I had, the, had the, the luxury of being able to live in, in the Santa Cruz mountains for free and then worked in San Jose and do my second term in AmeriCorps and did that with the San Jose Conservation Corps. One of the dopest youth programs of all time, Youth Corps, literally earn and learn after-school service learning projects for young folks who were identified by their high school as at risk of dropping out. The program doesn't exist anymore. But but it did, and you got to work in it, and that was foundational for yes. you. Mm-hmm. Because you're still mm-hmm. pretty much doing that work, what is this, 10 years later? Mm, yeah, more than that, but... All right. Years All right. You, you look young. It's yeah. a little, little older. AmeriCorps got your foot in the door mm-hmm. with service and education mm-hmm. and, and thinking about this. Yeah. And where did you kind of hone your chops? Where did you kind of mm-hmm. really learn? So I did two terms in AmeriCorps, and then I worked for an organization called the Fresh Lifelines for Youth Fly Program, delivering mentor programs to young folks in custody. Did that for about seven years. So that was direct service to young folks on probation, in custody, specifically those in the juvenile drug treatment court. A lot of dual diagnosis youth connecting them to mentors. Was a case manager there, became program manager there, designed some really cool programs around like victim offender mediation, created the COFA program in partnership with some other folks there, which is a court-appointed friend and advocate, kind of borrowing the child advocates model from the, the child welfare system, bringing that to the justice system. So I did that for seven years, and then I've been doing OYP for the last five and a half, but the kind of the bridge there was we could do amazing work for young folks. And for those who were sort of like at the lower end of the risk spectrum or had enough resources or family support, you know, a really good mentor or connection to a solid youth program could be kind of like mm-hmm. a key turning point. But just time after time, I was seeing young folks who basically, because of the, the gaps in the system may have graduated from probation successfully from the juvenile drug treatment court, been sober for a year, you know, the the system counts them as a success. Mm -hmm. And then they re-enter, or not re-enter, but they then remain in their life without a variety of supports or structures. And, you know, they... They fall back into... They fall through gaps in the system, despite somebody somewhere counting them as a success. So the system very much works, right? Policy very much works on this is the defined, this is what success is. If you can check off that box, if you're compliant, your Mm -hmm. program works. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is individual programs that have these little check off the box Mm -hmm. success rates, Mm -hmm. that's not what we need. If that's not what we need, what do we need? And let's just talk about Santa Clara County. What does Santa Clara County Probably the wealthiest county in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I We were at Joint Venture Silicon mm-hmm. Valley mm-hmm. last week, two weeks ago. 46 billionaires, 126,000 millionaires, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Those mm-hmm. might be the stats. Mm-hmm. Wealthiest county mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. What is the, what's the gap and, and yeah, what's... That's and, a great question. What, what does Santa Clara need? Without segueing or detouring too far... I think a lot about the that I, I've seen two very different worlds in my lifetime, and, and maybe in a different way than some folks think about. So I grew up in the industrial Midwest in the 90s when deindustrialization was going on. So I, I grew up in a factory town, a little factory town in Wisconsin that made stuff, 
and watched as many of those factories left. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a prosperous blue collar town that sort of over the years has been whittled down. And I don't this isn't like a the perfect way to say it, but it's something that's been in my head for quite some time. That was a reliable blue collar Democrat town when there was enough work. Yeah. And now it's Trump country. Mm-hmm. And I think that's about what happens the way resentment and frustration builds in people when economic opportunity is taken away. Mm. The like narrative that I've watched in my hometown where my dad still lives and where I still go to visit friends. Santa Clara County is like couldn't be more the opposite of that, right? It has home of innovation. Oh, yeah. Every all the venture capital in the forty percent of the venture capital in the country mm-hmm. is dispersed mm-hmm. in the valley. Mm-hmm. Right here. Mm-hmm. All the talent, all the capital all the resources, yes, and yet most people and all of the young people that you serve mm-hmm. have no access to it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's, just, it's kind of like a weird tale of two cities or two communities or two places that are on the face of it very different, experientially very different. But I think all the time about this place has more money than anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's got the smartest people of anywhere. And if we can't figure out how to build an inclusive and equitable economy here that that really kind of lifts all people up and Mm -hmm. invites people into it, I don't know what hope that means for Manitowoc, Wisconsin, or many other places down the middle of the country, or even here in California. What does that mean for the Central Valley when we automate farming? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is really the crux of the issue. Mm -hmm. We have this innovation engine. We have this hub. We have all these resources. Mm -hmm. It's attracting talent from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And yet we can't find a way to connect our local talent to this economy. That's tremendously frustrating. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's, that's the kindred thing that that connects us, right? How do we connect all of the young people coming through the public schools, through the community colleges, through San Jose state Mm -hmm. to these companies? Mm -hmm. Now, your background is your your public sector. Mm-hmm. Half the time when I'm talking to you, I'm like, all right, this guy wants to just be a professor. He's like, uh, he's, you know, like... You, <laughs> you want, have any good reports I you, can read. Yeah, you want, yeah, you're constantly sending me reports. You want to write reports. You want to yep. do all that. But I know that you know that that is just one side to this. Mm-hmm. It needs to be whatever solution we come up with has to be very well articulated and it needs to be research-based. Right. What else, right? What else do you think we need in addition to that, like, real research-based report? Like, we, we have to prove that this is possible. There's a lot in that question. Part of, well, I mean, I think the first, the starting place, I do, because I do, I think you're, you've, you've nailed me accurately in, in that, like, definitely coming from nonprofit sector, social services sector, public sector, right? Mm-hmm. The purpose of all of our work, all these programs and services, public systems, education, mm-hmm. is to provide employers with talent. And that can make people feel a little weird, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow we lost sight in this sector of the fact that there's only one way to self-sufficiency, and that's a good job. And so we ought to be thinking about who's got the good jobs and how do we get a whole bunch of young people there as fast as possible. With Nice Shifts, mm-hmm. we talked to Chris Funk, mm-hmm. right? We've talked with some superintendents. That's not their priority. No. Their priority, graduating students, A to G, and mm-hmm. right, that, that truly mm-hmm. is. That's the mandate college ready, Mm -hmm. right? Get folks into good colleges, Mm -hmm. have them graduate with all the academic tools. But you seem to have somehow made a shift that, yes, they need the academic, they need the post-secondary readiness, Mm -hmm. 
but they also need that exposure to the workforce. Mm -hmm. They need to have identified a passion and interest, and they need experiences because earning money as quickly as possible is essential. I'm, I'm, I'm stirring the pot. Yeah, stir the pot. You know, I've, I, one of my best friends was one of the early employees at Airbnb. Through some of my other stuff, I know a lot of guys who work at, you know, Apple and Google and Microsoft. Right? Because you got all this privilege and it's just exactly. oozing out of you. That's right. Right. One of the things I, I thought about, like, I, sometimes I think in, in like this, I say like the social sector, meaning like nonprofits, education. Workforce media, development. All that. All that. Over there, I, I think people are just like, oh, yeah, these Silicon Valley employers, they just got, like, jobs falling all over the place, and they mm. should just open up jobs and make jobs available and or give us money or whatever. And I, those guys that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. they work so much harder than I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are working their butts off sort of around the clock, whether it's, you know, like, doing these coding sprints, working, mm -hmm. you know, 36 hours straight to meet deadlines to launch in Europe. Or my buddy was just telling me like, oh yeah, you know, once a week I got to basically work till like two in the morning because we got to call the guys in Sri Lanka and mm -hmm. whatever. And it's just like, that's, that, if they had money just spilling all over and jobs yeah. that they could just, you know, hand they, out. There's the perception of Silicon Valley yeah. and then there's the reality of just how competitive it is. Yeah. And I had a gentleman once tell me that it is like being on a bobsled, mm -hmm. right? Like you're racing a bobsled mm -hmm. and you need every single dog on that team pulling right. as mm -hmm. fast as possible if you're going to have a chance of winning because mm -hmm. whoever wins in the marketplace mm -hmm. is decided by seconds. Mm -hmm. You don't have the capacity to teach a dog how to run That's right. a race. Like who has that luxury? Mm -hmm. The public sector has mm -hmm. that luxury. Mm -hmm. The private sector, they're competing. Yes. And so one of the big challenges that we're facing is you have a private sector that has certain business imperatives mm -hmm. and a public sector that has their own set of public imperatives. Mm -hmm. And these two sectors don't communicate very well. Mm -hmm. It's like the public sector has the handout mm -hmm. and the private sector has a please get out of my way and let me mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. do what I got to do. Mm -hmm. But the private sector, they have a responsibility mm -hmm. to California, to mm -hmm. the Bay Area, mm -hmm. to every single person that lives mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. They're not operating in a vacuum. They're operating, they're having environmental impact, they're having social impact. Mm -hmm. The entire housing crisis, everything, the crunch that everyone's mm -hmm. living under mm -hmm. is because of the outside success of the tech industry. And so that's the challenge. Plus horrific policy making. Yes. Restrictive zoning, all these kinds of, we, again, the joint venture. Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, State of the Valley conversation with that gentleman from the Calthorpe Associates was describing these opportunities to rezone these expressways for like dense multipurpose. And it's like, that's going to be a decade long fight. I don't know how long it's already been. So it's, yes, business has a responsibility. I, will, I, would, I would beat that drum hard, but I also think it's not having idiotic policies that exacerbate the housing crunch. So, yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on all that. I, we're, we're alike on a lot of things. One thing, though, is is one thing to critique. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to get shit done. Mm -hmm. Critiquing can only get you so far. Mm -hmm. Of course, everyone knows mm -hmm. that we have challenges. Mm -hmm. I believe what everyone was looking for mm -hmm. is action and execution. Yeah. And it needs to be incremental. Mm -hmm. It's not solving everything at once. Mm -hmm. 
taking steps that are real mm-hmm. and showing that you can mm-hmm. get the job done. Part of OYP's whole model is a collective impact model. Mm-hmm. That is the hardest model to actually do oh, yeah. because it takes getting a whole bunch of different independent organizations all working together. Mm-hmm. In your five years with OYP, what have you learned about driving it a collective impact model? Mm. Understanding incentives and payoffs mm-hmm. and thinking very carefully about how you prioritize authentic relationships while trying to get things done. And I say incentives and payoffs because, you know, like you, ever, you know that phrase, the system is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. Mm-hmm. You and I have had a number of candid conversations, but for the most part, everybody I met meet in this sector and in this sort of broad public sector space, social sector space, is smart and kind and well-intentioned. But there are, I think, a lot of sort of structural forces that push people to behave in ways or make decisions in ways that are restricted in scope, unnecessarily restricted, or short-term, short-term in nature. We're pushing people to think about like little chunks of people's lives in a way that doesn't actually mesh with the forever journey that is someone's life experience. I mean, strong workforce. Yeah. Great example of that. Mm-hmm. Come up with a series of projects you can do in 30 months. Mm-hmm. One-off, mm-hmm. <laughs> one-time things, and that's how you're going to get funding. Mm-hmm. And then next year, come up with something different. Mm-hmm. It might You might get funded. You might not get funded. Mm-hmm. It's year mm-hmm. to year. You don't know. Yeah. So part of it is just how we're funding things. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about balancing authentic relationships with the, you know, the more bigger strategic mm-hmm. work. I think you've been really good at cultivating and developing authentic mm-hmm. one-on-one relationships. Yeah, I hope so. People like you. Mm-hmm. People think you're smart. Mm-hmm. That's what people are telling me when mm-hmm. I'm talking with them and you're not around. That's good. So that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But what I also know is you can only be liked and smart for so long right. without having actual real tangible results that people are going to keep investing. God, there's so many good examples, I would say, of places where people have done collective impact the way it's the way it ought to be done right in tell, the, tell me a couple tell me a couple of I mean examples. Cincinnati Strive is like the the paramount example right or like the the meta example and that's where like strive together evolved out of that's kind of like one of the original data-driven collective impact was Peter Black associated with that do you know, know who Peter Black is I have his book I think I like his book community yeah community yeah. the structure of belonging mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't so know. If he was I would be curious. Yeah. Peter Black, were you associated with that initiative? Yeah, that's right. Somebody forward this to him. In Boston, they reduced the high school dropout rate by 50% from about 2,000 young people a year to under 1,000 through some really deep partnerships and specific structures that they built. And they have a, like a citywide collaborative on post secondary success. In Seattle, South King County, they have the Community Center for Economic Results, or mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Educational Result. Result. They have a roadmap project, like comprehensive regional roadmap project to increase the graduation rate. I mean, people mm-hmm. are doing amazing things. Silicon, I mean, Silicon Valley, we got money for days, right? Yep. And this is like, this is why Magnify community is mm-hmm. rising. We don't have a ton of philanthropy invested back into the work. And the philanthropy that we do have is, I would argue, in some ways, with regard to education, workforce, social services, kind of immature, there's mm. there's like no resource invested for like the new infrastructure and interstitial tissue of the social sector. You can't throw a rock 
without hitting someone who is working in the social sector. That's right. Right? Nonprofits, social enterprise, ed tech startup, CSR arm of this company, and you're saying that we don't have enough interconnective tissue. That's exactly right. I think it's part of the entrepreneurial spirit here, or something or other, or whatever has happened in the last ten years. That you know, every, like everybody's a social entrepreneur. Yeah. And everybody's working on a disruptive solution that has ported over to the social sector. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think it has started to build what I call the nonprofit industrial complex. Well, I don't think it started. That complex has been building. It's for been building. many decades. Yeah, and I don't yes. think I'm the first person to use that term for sure. But everybody's selling what are sort of near magic bullet solutions. Mm-hmm. And the you know one of the ways that I have thought about my work, I have thought about my life. My life was constructed very fortunately, right, to allow me to like proceed sort of steadily mm-hmm. down this developmental trajectory to get, you know, a good public school education to continue on to community college and then a four-year school and have you know working part-time along that way and had was lucky to have a two-parent middle-class household where we had plenty of resources never had to worry about being hungry or housing instability had a safe place to talk to my parents about what was going on right had the, had the luxury of those familial resources that feed well-being and the world has become more and more unequal particularly in this place and so we have a whole bunch of young folks who have been denied access sort of like structurally to a lot of those pieces. Mm-hmm. And then particularly even, you know, as you, then you get into system impacted populations or communities really suffering from chronic structural poverty. And trauma. And trauma. And one part of me is just like, give poor people money. Mm-hmm. Give them money. We know... Wealth transfer. Wealth transfer. We know the tax on cognitive capacity that is imposed by toxic stress, mm-hmm. which is a direct result of chronic poverty and... You know, they, there's it says it's about a 15, it, it results in a 15-point drop in IQ because of the tax on, on cognitive mm-hmm. bandwidth, plus all the stuff around limiting executive function, mm-hmm. self-control and regulation. And so we've got all these folks who are dealing with really tough circumstances who have to make hard choices all the time, and they're doing it with a diminished capacity. We should just give them the money they need. So that they don't have to choose between an education mm-hmm. and eating, mm-hmm. right? So, like, give them the the transportation passes. Yes. Give them the food voucher. Give them the subsidized housing. Mm-hmm. So that they at least have a baseline mm-hmm. to launch. And, and I wouldn't. I mean, I would go far than that because, like, how, okay, now, now you got to keep track of this. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, here's twelve hundred dollars a month. Cool. So all right, but now we're talking basic. But, but now we're talking basic income, that's and that's right. like a whole nother thing. I, what I'm saying is, so we've got all these nonprofits talking about this is, you know, we're going to solve all the problems with this. So we're going to solve, yeah. you know, for this group, we can blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's, and, and then you have education now centering itself in the conversation with workforce. And it's, it's just sort of this muddy mix. And it's never any one of those things. It's a unique combination of those experiences, both academic and developmental for every young person everywhere forever. So this is now getting to the really hard part mm-hmm. of taking a system, like I'm talking now public education, that was built, and really the social sector, that right. was built in the 20th century under an industrial model. Yep. And now we're here in this digital economy, and we're trying to take that same system 
and get it to change and make it fit this new context, and it feels horrible. Yeah. Right? It feels ugly and horrible. It's not easy mm -hmm. because what we really need doesn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of what we already have, mm -hmm. but it looks and it feels differently, and it just doesn't exist yet. And so something that we keep coming back to, right, it's like we're 85% there. Yeah. All the people that we list of the people that we need, right, to engage in the workshops and the conversations that we're planning, we all like-minded and yet we can't build what is next. Mm -hmm. Because that what is next no one can fully see yet. So how do we, how do you create the space bringing people together so that we can collectively build what comes next? Yeah. You're trying to create that space. Mm -hmm. I see you trying to do it. Yeah. Well, this is the stupid answer, right? Is like, we need philanthropy to put up some risk capital. In... What's funny though, is no one wants to do anything risky. No. Everyone wants you to have traction. They want you to have the model already created mm -hmm. and so that it's replicable. Mm -hmm. Everyone, right? I mean, mm -hmm. very few people mm -hmm. are willing to, to, you know, we're gonna put out resources and we don't know yet what the outcome is. They want mm -hmm. the outcome before you actually the mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. and the process of building something truly new is you don't know what the outcome is yet that's right because you got to yeah. bring the people together and you got to grow it and feel, feel well, it together it's the tension i mean you, you know you said incremental right like and so i think there's like to try and circle back to that i think there's a couple of things um, that i, I want to mention part of what seems to be like pervasive in the social public sector right is like let's plan and plan and plan we'll get all the right people in and the we'll room keep talking we'll, we'll and talking plan so good for so long um and it's just like this sort of endless conversation of like, if you can design it perfectly and then it runs, right? But it's like, that's, the world is changing so quickly. And especially here, the pressures are mounting and mounting. You can, you have to be able, you have to be ready to launch it and iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate. The lag, if you're going to have truly demand-driven education, mm -hmm. industry demand-driven mm -hmm. education, there can't be a lag. Mm -hmm. If data science is the new hot, Thing. Mm -hmm. There needs to be programs, access points, mm -hmm. da data science from middle school mm -hmm. to high school to community college, bang, mm -hmm. we're going. And in five years, it's not going to be data science. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something else. Mm -hmm. And literally, but you have to have those core competencies being taught and right. all the way through and constantly iterating. How long did it take Common Core to get developed and rolled out? Oh. And everyone's complaining. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's like there needs to be a new Common Core mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I was teaching, I, I did not teach the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. I literally taught U.S. history for 10 years, mm -hmm. swear to God, didn't teach the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. Because history is constantly changing. That's right. The, right. the world is constantly changing. Yeah. Arab Spring happens, you got to be talking about the Arab Spring. Yeah. Occupy, I was teaching in Oakland, Occupy Wall Street happened. I had to go down to check out Occupy mm -hmm. in Oakland because my students were going to be joining that. Mm -hmm. That became how we talked about the French Revolution. Mm. That is the kind of purposeful, like, real education that young people mm -hmm. need. But that's not what's encouraged, mm -hmm. is lesson planning mm -hmm. to the standards. Mm -hmm. And then the standards are going to change every five or ten years. Mm -hmm. It's too slow. Yeah. Too slow. Let's take it to the work that you're doing literally right now, mm -hmm. the next six months. Mm -hmm. What are you excited about? Oh, I mean, some of this is like, uh, well, the thing that I'm most excited about is lifting up young leaders. We have two youth engagement fellows, two young folks with lived experience, the expertise of lived experience, 
one other critique about the social sector. All right, um, throw it on. Lack of feedback loops. Mm. There's, there's no, like business is feedback loop all day, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a person who says the social sector really needs to operate more like a business. I think there are probably some principles and practices that could be brought over that are important. But the idea of iteration, iteration. and refinement, user feedback. And then feedback. you have to hear directly from the, the people and, and in a way that's, a, I think plenty of organizations would say, we do a pre and post survey but needing to really hear the voice of young people so you can find the nuance of the solution that you need mm-hmm. to build or the adaptation that you need to make. So we have these two youth engagement fellows who are going to conduct 15 focus groups over the next couple of months here from about 75 young people in different programs and services. And it will build on the focus groups we did in fall of 2018. So just really excited to get the raw voice from from young people themselves. What do they want? What are the solutions they need? What isn't working about the current mm-hmm. um, situation? And then additionally, you know, Santa Clara County really just doesn't have a ton of, um, like, youth-led... I mean, there is there is bubbling up. Uh, young leaders are doing stuff, but there's not really, like, a robust system to lift up young leaders and build them up and, mm-hmm. and to do that in a way that allows them to be autonomous. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're hearing about a lot of different groups doing cool stuff uh, like the San Jose State Student Homeless Alliance that just uh, worked with Jim Bell to lobby on CSU to allocate some more funding to homeless students. I was on the San Jose State campus last week and learned that 40% of the students are uh, food insecure. Mm -hmm. I don't know what percentage are housing insecure, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but could be pretty similar. Yeah, and and there's Californians for Justice, which has been doing some work in Eastside San Jose, there's the Brown Berets and uh, these, there's other organizations that are out there where young people are sort of saying, like, enough is enough. We can't keep doing more and more and more of kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And so we also want our young fellows to be connecting with those groups and trying to maybe host some inter, intergroup dialogue to understand um, where is that so, energy. So this goes to potential for a youth summit. Yeah. Right. Santa Clara County Office of Ed is already doing a youth mm-hmm. summit, youth summit live. Mm-hmm. Olivia Santian, mm-hmm. keep up that really mm-hmm. good work. May 9th, Levi Stadium. Mm-hmm. Right. That is already happening. But we're talking with other folks who are right. How do how do we do something beyond a one day mm-hmm. youth summit? That's right. How is there more of a campaign? How is it more strategic? Mm-hmm. It has to be beyond one event. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like some of this, what your your youth fellows are doing, they're going to produce actionable insights? Is there opportunity to influence policy? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to find, for example, one of the things I wouldn't be surprised that if, if kind of emerges from some of that, from the focus groups, right? One of the things we heard from young folks who'd experienced the foster system, they said, basically, I, like, I, I don't want to work with system people. I want to be able to work with my peers. That's who helps me. That's who should help me rules in place, probably rules that were thoughtfully designed for like young people in transitional housing programs that sort of create barriers to being in relationship with their peers. Mm. So, or being supports to their peers. Um, And so, you know, that's a a very small and targeted example, but I think we're going to hear from young folks a whole slew of important things that if we, you know, what if you design, like with night shifts, it begins with fellowship, Mm -hmm. begins with connection and checking in with your community of like-minded peers who are trying to progress together. You know, maybe in, in amazing classrooms, but I just think that there's, there are opportunities to listen to young people and rethink what we're doing in response to what they are very clear about. Listening to young people, putting them at the center mm-hmm. of the change, mm-hmm. that needs to be woven through everything. 
that we do, right? Mm -hmm. So as we're doing employer engagement, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. If we don't start with young people, your mm -hmm. colleague, Elise Quattini, CEO mm -hmm. of Pivotal, had a wonderful meeting. She's on the steering committee of OYP. Yep. She reaffirmed what I already knew, but it really helps to have people mirror it and give it back. You need to start with the perspective of a young person growing up in Silicon Valley. What is it like here? Because you got to start with the heart. Mm -hmm. If you're going to change people's minds and get them to think differently, you got to start with that youth voice. Right. And youth have to be part of the design process of creating the career pathway, creating a, whatever's new. If it's for them, they need to be sitting at the table. That's right. Not as a, a token, but actual voting, participatory mm -hmm. member mm -hmm. of designing this. Mm -hmm. They have the capacity. Mm -hmm. So it's creating a space for young people to be there with the professional people, mm -hmm. to be there with industry, mm -hmm. to help rethink this. Yeah, well, and so the work, I think there's these really, so you asked me what I was excited about. Youth fellows doing tons of focus groups with young people trying to connect across these organic youth-led groups that are already organizing, trying to find the intersections there. That's kind of part one. But the, the work that you're doing with us to start to engage employers and really begin to understand their perspectives and themes and challenges. And I think if we if we lead towards like the follow-on youth summit that we've been talking about, young people are just like, so, they're so smart. And we bring young leaders together and we can think about their experience, the experiences of their peers, what we're learning from focus groups or other, you know, in other ways we're learning and hearing from young people. What are the themes and tensions that they're feeling and navigating? And then we're also hearing the voice of industry and they're saying, well, this is, you know, kind of what we need or this is the challenge we're dealing with or this is the reality of this, right? We've talked about like a design challenge or something mm -hmm. along those lines, but help young people to really understand those themes. And now maybe they're not going to redesign the education delivery system but if, you know, we can have a really authentic conversation where young people are lifting up their lived experience and that of their peers and really honing in on some of the key sticking points for them. And we're hearing from business on the needs, the real business needs and the, the, both the limitations and the opportunities in a really mm -hmm. candid way. I think if we can put those together, young people will identify some key strategies that can help us get from here to there, can help us get from here to there, but that we must respond to. I mean, mm. that's, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah, they need to force our hand. If what I'm hearing is right, it's not, change is not going to happen because Joe Herity's on his soapbox mm -hmm. and Alfredo Matthews mm -hmm. saying, hey, we need to be. It's going to happen when there's an army of young people who are saying, we've had it. We know that we've, we've actually looked at the situation. We know mm -hmm. that this is what is systemically holding us back. Mm -hmm. And we need the adults to help remove these barriers because we actually, we want a life here. We want a future here. And these, we've identified the barriers. Now, if you keep these barriers here after we've already told you these are the barriers, then we know what you really want. Yes. Right? Yes. So. And it's, it's part of it is because, and we've talked about this, of course, but you mentioned the strong workforce money that's coming. And, mm -hmm. you know, that'll be, any money invested in education, I'm basically a fan of, right? Like, education is underfunded in this state. Yes. like 40 first in the nation, up from 48th or whatever, but mm -hmm. despite being the center of the knowledge economy, right, it doesn't add up in any way. But we had, like, in, in Silicon Valley in Santa Clara County, we, CCPT, California Career Pathways Trust, that money dropped five years ago now, six years ago, 2014, and then 2015, the second round, and strong workforce money and CTE incentive grant. These are, I mean, they're, they're investments in education, so ultimately I, I support them, but to be a bit critical of them for a moment, 
what does that do? It always centers edu education in the conversation about career pathways. And that is nuts. Education is going to say to business, here's what we can do, or here's mm -hmm. what we want to do and what we're going to do. And like to your point earlier, that's just the timeline that business is like, okay, cool. Well, we're going to get engineers from China. Because mm -hmm. you can't produce quick enough. There's the speed of business and then mm -hmm. there's the speed of education. Mm -hmm. Those two systems working completely different mm -hmm. speeds, very hard to link them up. In different speeds and in different ways. Um, you know, education, uh, you sort of did mention, you know, like the 20th century factory model, mm -hmm. right? It's like, we're going to just drop like waves of people. A business may feel like, I need seven software engineers with these very specific skills. Why did Amazon just invest $700 million in workforce upskilling? Because they weren't seeing it being done by the private, by the public sector. Exactly. So your concern is that, hey, I mean, it's great. Amazon, Google, whomever, they're going to build their own talent pipelines if the public sector mm -hmm. can't do it. Mm -hmm. But if the private sector is building talent pipelines, they have no mandate to make it equity driven, to make it accessible to the yeah. public, to, to serve the young people that you're really trying to serve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got, we got some work to do. Last thing here, ultimately you're young, mm -hmm. but you're not, but you're not that young, yeah. right? What does success look for you? Talk to me like five years from now, what would allow you to feel like, hey, you know what? Because you do have a moment. This mm -hmm. is your moment. Mm -hmm. You've got all these people around the table. Mm -hmm. You got some ports from mm -hmm. the city of San Jose. You got mm -hmm. people of the county. Mm -hmm. You have right access and you're going to create more access. Mm -hmm. What does success in this moment look like that you could then say five years ago, I actually did the best I could mm -hmm. with that moment. Mm -hmm. And I set it up for other people to yeah. follow behind me. Mm. You know, my duty is really to opportunity youth it is to young people for whom the education mainstream long ago forgot about them or maybe pushed them out very intentionally success for me would be if i could rewind in time and to my mentee i could say here's what you do you go here you begin here you you don't have to have this insane choice between school and work you can get the resources you need and if you do that and if you play the game, you've got a shot at living wages or, or self-sufficiency wages. Success not being a roll of the dice, but being a replicable, repeatable, measurable, measurable, trackable thing. If we can develop a youth summit mm -hmm. with youth voice, with mm -hmm. all of your young people bringing to the table, and if we can ensure, identify mm -hmm. what the barriers are, and provide that next step. Mm -hmm. This is where you go next if you want to go this path, that path. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's that's at least a really positive. Next that's the step. starting point. When well, we we talk a lot at a you know me and my colleague Courtney, we talk a lot about what we're building. You know, from the perspective of opportunity youth. But if we period for all young people, but most certainly for opportunity youth, we talk about we need to make three things easy. You need to make it really easy to go back to school and, mm -hmm. and to go back to school to your best fit, to your right fit, the, the school that fits your life. We need to make it easy to stay in school. So these young folks have so many things pulling at them and pushing at them that they're trying to navigate. We need a system that says education is everything. And so we're going to 
we are going to prioritize rallying supports and services around this young person so that it is as easy as possible for them to stay in school. And then we want to make it easy to take a next step because we know that in Silicon Valley, in Santa Clara County, anything less than a meaningful post-secondary credential is an economic death sentence. That's real. So we need a system that gets every one of these young folks into post-secondary in a meaningful way that is suited to their life, inclusive of trades and apprenticeships and short-term programs and community colleges and four-year programs. We have to make it easy to go back to school, easy to stay in school, and easy to take a next step when you complete. If we can prove that for opportunity youth, if we could really build such a system for opportunity, the most vulnerable, the least resource young people in our community, then we can build that for anybody. There's got to be principles and practices that we can apply to anyone. And what that would then mean is that we want it to be going from high school to a post-secondary program should be as easy as going from 11th to 12th grade. It should be a seamless A smooth flow. transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds doable. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's figure out how to make it happen. Wish you continued success on your journey, sir. Joe. Appreciate All it. Right. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Joe. If you'd like to get in touch with Joe Harity, you can reach him at theopportunityyouthpartnership.org. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always reach me at workingworld.co. Every week we come to you with a new conversation. And starting soon, we have a community forum series where we're tackling issues of equity, workforce, education, and entrepreneurship. You can join us live at 12 noon every Friday, or you can catch the episode once it's released as a podcast the following week. Thanks for joining us. And as always, hope you can find the purpose in the future of your work.